0: The following podcast is a presentation of Liberty Christian Fellowship, loving God and loving people in a hurting world. For more information about our church, visit us online at libertyobx.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates and encouragement. We hope this message inspires you and blesses you. Now prepare your hearts to hear a powerful word from God. God bless. How you doing? Uh, I was telling the first service, you remember, anybody watch Friends in here? You remember Joey from, from the TV show Friends? How you doing? How you doing? Um, I ask you that every How many of you guys asked somebody that this morning? How you doing to somebody when you came in? And most of us say, good. And the grammatically correct people say, I'm well. Okay. And, uh. And in the south, you know, uh, you know, we say all kinds of strange things that folks up north sometimes don't understand, all the little phrases. And then our elder Craig Blackwell says, the one I love, every time I ask Craig how's he, how he's doing, he always says, I'm perfect. That's what he always says. The cool thing is he's theologically correct. <laughs> because if you've got Jesus living on the inside of you today, if you surrendered your life to Jesus, when the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. Right? So that's pretty good, too. But, you know, we ask that question all the time to people, and people ask us that question, and without much thought, we often answer. Now, sometimes some of us get more honest than we should be, right? I'm doing terrible. I'm doing awful. And the person at the grocery store checkout line goes, what do I do with that, right? I will tell you, it's a great witnessing tool. If you ever, somebody, in a give the unexpected answer. I try to do that often when I'm at the gas station or wherever, and they ask me how I'm doing. I go, I'm fantastic So what I tell them. And often they'll go, really? And so I'll go, well, how are you? And they'll go, well, I'm okay. I'm making it. I'm like, man, you can do better than making it. You can be fantastic. It's a great witnessing tool. You get a chance to share Jesus with it. But what we don't do often is really take time to ask ourselves that question. We'll give a quick answer and not give it much thought. But what um, Bill Woman, our elder Bill Woman shared last week, and some stuff I'm going to un- sum up, uh, some of what he said, and then unpack for you today as well, has to do with us taking a look at ourselves and really asking ourselves the question, how am I? How am I doing? I mean, honestly, how are you doing? To consider for a moment as... I'm going to show you in just a second. How's my soul? What's the condition on the inside? My wife, for Christmas this year, uh, gave me a book. And uh, I don't know, some of us in here will probably know that if your wife gives you a book, she's trying to tell you something. And uh, anybody ever have your wife give you a book? Gentlemen, be careful about giving your wives books. Um, She gave me this book for Christmas. This book is called How's Your Soul? And uh, it's by Pastor Judah Smith. And I devoured this book. I'm a reader. I I read it in just a few number of days. I ate this book. And uh, it really blessed me, one, because it met me at a particular difficult season in my life and led me to a place to ask myself the question how's my soul? How's my heart? How am I doing on the inside? And he laid out some principles here, four things in particular that when I went through it, I was like, man, this is something that is going to be important for the life of our body, and it's really important for believers as a whole. And when we look at the condition of our country, things that are going on, I mean, our, our poor folks down in Hatteras, you, how many of us locals know that the real problem down in Hatteras is not cut, the cut electrical line? The real problem down in Hatteras and Ocracoke and Frisco and Avon, all that right now, is the loss of income, Right? And so there's some coming difficult weeks. And some of them are going, they can't afford to lose a week of rental down there. And they're going, what am I going to do this winter? And it creates turmoil and stress on the inside of them. And in this book, there is this quote. He says, you are only as good on the outside as you are on the inside. How many of you guys know that to be true? Right? I mean, I know that when I've had a hard week and whatnot, when I get home in the afternoon, I can have a tendency to be a little more grumpy. Right? Or when you've had a fantastic day, you come in the house a whole different deal, right? And I won't even talk about maybe the extent of which when my wife was pregnant and what was going on on the inside of her, sometimes I didn't know which lady I was coming home to in the afternoon, right? And she would say amen to that. So I'm not speaking out of school and getting beat up later. So, but... Right? I mean, what goes on on the inside is going to affect everything on the outside. Well, then it would only make total sense that the Father, in all of His infinite love and wisdom for us, and in the outpouring of His Holy Spirit to empower us and to fill us, that He wanted to do something with the inside of us, so that as we live, it radically impacts the outside of us, all around us. I know for these students... The world's going to be different everywhere they show up because they're different on the inside. It's going to have an impact because what's going on on the inside of them is going to impact what's going on in the outside. But the converse is true in the sense of when it's not going well on the inside, it can hinder us and rob us from what the Lord wants us to walk in and have and do and uh, in unfolding his kingdom business. Um, the truth is we run our lives to the breaking point. We do. I was telling, I told the first service that we burn the candle at both ends until there's no candle left. And then we start screaming to God, God, why? God, where are you? And God's going, you got to stop doing that. You know, you know, we'll run it till it breaks and then ask God to fix it when God gave us tools to run it right in the first place. Okay. Over the book of third John, if you can find it, it's one page in your Bible. Okay, if you need some help, it's right after Second John, um, <laughs> or even better yet, in finding it, it's just before the page and a half book called Jude. So, um, it's in there, I promise. If you can't find it, and it says this, uh, Third John, the only chapter, verse three. John says this, dear friend, and he's writing to an elder. Okay, he says, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. This is that quote that I just read to you a minute ago. I'm praying that you're going to be in good health, that things are going to go well on the outside with you as your soul is going well on the inside. It's only as good on the outside as it's going on on the inside. You know, Jesus echoed something similar to this. Jesus said, what profited a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? In other words, you can gain a whole bunch of stuff out here and be completely dead or die on the inside. And I know that there will be some of you sitting in here today by outward appearances and when people look at you, you may be very successful, family looks like you got together, job is going well, there's money in the bank account, and you are feeling totally wasted away on the inside. Because those outside things don't satisfy. And we can make a lot of efforts to build things for ourselves and do things and uh, certain relationships and whatever and they not amount to much. I don't know if you've ever been in a season where it's like, man, I can't work any harder than I'm working and it's not going anywhere. I don't feel any better in here. It's because it doesn't start out there. It starts in here. It starts on the inside. So with that... Thought I would like for you to flip over to Genesis chapter 2 with me, if you will. And I'm going to go through the passage of Scripture that uh, Judah Smith went through here in the book. And I'm um, going to touch on the couple of things that uh, Bill Waman uh, spoke about last week as a reminder. And then I'm going to give you two more. And I hope that you write these down, that you internalize these things. Because they are things that the Lord gave us so that we can be well even as our soul as well. It starts on on the inside. So, what's going on here in the first couple of chapters of Genesis is God's creating everything, right? He creates the heavens and the earth, he separates the waters and the land, he creates the uh, creates the creepy crawly things and the flying things and the fish in the sea and the uh, you know, he creates everything. And he says it's all good, right? And then he creates man. He says that's very good. And then he makes this amazing, beautiful, perfect playground for his new kid that he created because God wanted a family, right? And he puts Adam in there and then uh, gives Adam some stuff to do and creates Eve to be in relationship with Adam. That's what's taking place here in these first couple of chapters. When God creates Adam and then places Adam in this garden, there are these four things. And I hope that you're as fascinated by it as I was, because often we look at things that we have to do, or things that we deal with, or whatever, as things that took place because Adam and Eve screwed it all up. When in reality, some of these things, led by God's Spirit, God gave to us for us to unfold His kingdom, and that that's really regardless of what happens on the outside. I mean, some of us, have you ever discovered for some of us in here that peace is not the absence of conflict, but peace is the presence of Jesus, which means you can be at peace even in the midst of, no matter what the circumstances in your life. I don't know if you've ever met someone, I mean, in my line of work and visiting folks in the hospital, I have visited and prayed with folks in the hospital that were terminally ill, but were full of joy. How does that happen? I mean, what in the world? The world would say, You're crazy. But what we know is that there's something that starts on the inside that's not or does not have to be controlled by what's on the outside. And it's the things that God designed for us. So the environment that God places Adam in and the things that God gives Adam um, are really by design some principles for us to be able to thrive as God's children. And uh, so we're going to take a look at those. The first one um, that Bill talked about with us last week was rest. How many of you could use some rest? Counselors said amen from camp. All right. And, uh, you know, gosh, I know. Can you imagine? There are some parents that got their kids home on the Fridays and said, what did they do to my kid? It came home completely different. It's awesome. All right, chapter 2. Look down at verse 9 with me. It says the Lord, um, back up to verse 8. If you will, with me. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden where he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees go out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And then he goes on in the following verses to talk about the beautiful rivers and that there was gold that even smelled good in this garden. It was perfect and beautiful and amazing. The first thing that's said here with this garden that Adam gets put in is look at the beautiful trees and see that they're good for food. It's the first thing. Now, we're Southern Christians. We like to eat. Right? Okay. I'm going to get you out at some point by lunchtime. It's okay. Don't go there yet. It'll be okay. And uh, I know growing up in church here in the South, I've had lots of uh, fried chicken and potato salad, and right? Or out this way, they do fish fries. And uh, we like to eat. The first thing God does when he puts Adam in the garden is look at the trees. They're pleasing to the eye. What is that all about? It's about enjoyment and rest. It starts there. It starts with look at what God has done. Look at what God has provided And one of the things that Bill went through with us about rest last week is he talked about Sabbath rest, okay, about this whole seventh day Sabbath that that, uh, on the seventh day with the Jewish, in the Jewish culture, they would do no work, and the whole point of that was they were remembering when God had created the world in six days. People ask me if I believe in seven-day creation, and I tell them no. I believe in six-day creation, and on the seventh day, God rested, right? Okay, that went over like a lead balloon, man, all right. Okay, that is, some folks will get that later. That's okay. All right. Um, but that on, they do that to recognize it on the seventh day that God rested. And it's interesting. If you look at the six days of creation, every time God made stuff, he stepped back and he said, that's good. And as Bill did appear so eloquently last week, he would say, "God was almost like God would step back and go, wow, look at that. That's good. God would do that. And on the sixth day, rest was not about God being tired. Because God's all-knowing, all-powerful. God didn't get tired from creating. Rest was about satisfaction and fulfillment for what he had done. Him stepping back and looking at it. And resting in it. Being satisfied with it. So that the first thing he says to Adam when he's placed in the garden is, See the trees. Please, it's, wow, it's good. Starts with rest. It all starts with rest. It all starts with looking to God and what God has provided. It's interesting, in the New Testament, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Look, and you'll be provided for. Look at the trees and see that the food is good. Okay? You need to understand, no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing today, God's already provided for you. Now, you may not see it in the way you want it. There may be some tough steps ahead. You may have some hard choices to make. But God never leaves you or forsakes you or leaves you without. And I'm just going to throw this nugget out. I didn't do this in the first service. This is just for you. But can I tell you what I've discovered? Because it is about community, and we're going to get to that in a minute, that God makes provision through the community. When hurricanes blow through around here, what happens in terms of people getting provided for? The community pulls together and takes care of the community. Do you know how God makes provision for his children? Through his children. God has provided for you. Maybe for you it's this church and you've been feeling alone and you don't know what to do. You need to get plugged in and get connected to some other people and watch how God provides for you. Just saying, look, rest in that. Be at peace. All right, second thing I want you to look down Um, was work. We all like work, don't we? Um, Verse 15 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden uh, to work it and take care of it. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. Do you know when this is? This is before disobedience, sin, and the fall. Work is not punishment. Work was a gift from God. Responsibility is a gift from God. A lot of people think that when they get asked to do something, it's a problem. Right? I don't want to do it. You're robbing me. You're taking up all my time. And we get bitter with folks who are actually giving us an opportunity. Now, maybe they don't treat you well, maybe they're not godly, but you still have the opportunity to be godly in what has been offered to you, right? And, uh, And so, work was actually a gift from the Lord. As Bill pointed out, And it blew me away last week because I hadn't seen it. In Exodus, I believe it was chapter 17, he talked about that when the uh, Israelites were in the uh, wilderness, and they're out there, and God, if you remember, was providing food for them. It was called manna, right? And that it it was food that would come down from heaven. It would supernaturally appear each day for them to eat and be provided for. Um, funny thing is manna in the original language means what is it? So it's up for debate as to what it was, but either way it nourished them and it was okay. That's actually true. And so what God told them was six days, you will go out and collect the manna that I'm providing for you. Right. And they were to collect enough for the seventh day because he told them to rest and not collect on the seventh day. But the scripture says there that there were some that went out on the seventh day to collect anyway. And it says that they found none. So the issue isn't work. The issue is being obedient to God's direction in your work. Because when you don't follow God's direction in your work, it will amount to zilch. It will amount to nothing. And nothing might look like Stress. Nothing might look like missing out on your children because you're overworking, because you're not listening to the Lord about rest, which is part of your work. Catch that? Okay. It's about God-directed in your work. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But you've got to follow God's direction, because when we do things in our own effort instead of God's leading, we wind up in our own effort with things that don't amount to much. But work and responsibility and rest were principles that God gave us for us to thrive, for us to unfold the kingdom of God on the earth. These were things that God gave Adam before things were broken. When everything was perfect, these were things that God said people needed to do. We need these things. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, Bill gave us three things I thought were worth mentioning again real quick before I move on. And feel you'll move to that next slide, where he says this, that part of rest and work are these two things. The first one was, come to Jesus. If you're going to write these scriptures down, it's Matthew 11, 28, 29, it's where Jesus says, come to me all who are weary laden, heavy and weary laden, uh, uh, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, Jesus gives rest. So you need to come to Jesus. You need to spend time with him. Bring these concerns, bring these things to him, know him, come to him. Then he said, believe in Jesus. And John chapter 6 there is where Jesus says, the work is to believe in the one whom God has sent. That's what it says. So part of your work and God-ordained work and rightly led work is to believe, to stand on the promises, to believe what Jesus said, to believe that Jesus will do what he said. Sometimes we get defeated in our work or frustrated or we feel like a failure. And you know what we're doing in that moment? We're abandoning the promises of God. You might fail, but if you're a child of God, you are never a failure. Failure is an identity. Failing happens. Are we okay? It's important that you believe what Jesus said. Because the truth is when we feel like a failure, we normally don't learn. But when we understand who we are in Christ and understand that we fail sometimes, the Lord will teach us all kinds of things so that we can grow, because we aren't hung up on trying to prove ourselves, because we already know who we are, okay? Then in John chapter 15, where he says that I'm the vine, you are the branches, abide in me, or remain in me, okay? Remain there, so come to Jesus, believe Jesus, and then stick it out with Jesus. Hang in there with Jesus, okay? Because that is the work. Those are principles that he gave last week that I thought were powerful. Now look, moving on, I want to give you this next thing here in Genesis 2. I want you to look down with me Um, at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Translation, no. (laughs) No. Boundaries. Restriction. Don't do that you need that. I desperately need that. Now, I don't know if you've ever read the creation account, first couple of chapters of Genesis. God creates this amazing, God creates out of nothing. I mean, God didn't have to have a light bulb when he said, let there be light. He just said light and there was. He didn't flip any switches. It's amazing. And he creates this perfect garden and he creates his family, right? Because God wanted a family. That's why God created. And he, he's got his, his family in the perfect playground and why in the world would he stick a hand grenade in the middle of the perfect thing he created? What in the world is up with the tree that can mess it all up? You ever thought about that? Love needs a yes, and love has to have a no. Love is only love if it's a choice. You can't force somebody to love you. If I put a gun to your head and tell you to tell me that you love me, you don't love me, you're just scared. Right? Love has to be a choice. So there was a boundary in the garden. Keeping boundaries is a statement of love. Have you ever had somebody violate your boundaries? How would you feel? We need boundaries, and I stink at it. I hate saying no to stuff. I like saying yes to things. It feels good. I like saying yes to people. I like it how people respond to me when you say yes to them. When they want something from you, right? Or they want you to help them out with something. Or they ask you for something. And man, I wind up saying yes to everything. And you know what? That means I wind up saying no to the most important stuff. Because you say no all the time by the things you say yes to. Do you know that when they said yes to the tree, they were saying no to God? Love is all about boundaries. That's why there was a tree in the garden. Respecting boundaries is a display of that love. But I want you to know that it's not a hopeless issue. I want you to know how God laid this thing out. Going back to the first principle of rest or enjoyment. Look at all the trees. Don't eat of the one tree. Look at all the provision. Don't touch that. It's just like human beings to go, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. And there's one thing, and we go, that's not fair, why can't I do that? You're stepping on my rights. It's a free country, I can say what I want. Yep, it might cost you. You might want to have a boundary there. Right, some of us need a boundary right here. I do sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes you need to say no in your head before whatever it is is getting ready to come out. Okay? But we'll get all upset about the one thing we can't do instead of all the incredible stuff that God has provided. It is a setup for success. Look at all of it. But love me by not doing that. I love you, so don't do that. Success. Second thing about success for Adam, which was the second principle, which was work. What was his work in the garden? Was to tend it and to take care of it, is what the scripture says. Which means Adam was intimately acquainted with, caring for and taking care of all of that that had been provided for him. It ain't like he didn't know it was there. So rest for us, allows us to keep in view all that God's done and has provided for us. It's worship, keeping our eyes set on God and all that he's provided and all that he's done. Right responsibility keeps us acquainted with gratefulness because God has provided for us. Are you okay? We get to see it, we get to touch it, and it reminds us to keep a boundary. Does that make sense to you guys? There are some of you sitting here today, you need to say no to some stuff. You're asking God to change something. You're asking God to fix something. You're asking God to take something away, and God's going, say no. Quit it. Draw a boundary. We want the easy way out. Boundaries don't always feel good. Good. I've said this a lot recently just because it's come up over the year in meeting with people. From time to time when I deal with people in, in counseling situations or ministry situations and those kinds of things, Dad and I discuss this a lot, we encounter a lot of people who want to feel better, but they don't necessarily want to be better. Because being better, being better often doesn't feel good along the way. And we will trade the incredible blessings, the love and the relationship and the presence of God in our life for a short term relief or a short term pleasure. Instead of drawing a boundary which says, I love you, no says, I love you, even though they don't like it sometimes. The yeses vastly outweighed the no's for Adam. Um, I'm just going to touch on this briefly. I won't spend as much time on it, but if you'll flip over to the book of Romans with me, um, I look at chapter eight, chapter eight of the book of Romans is a phenomenal stretch of scripture. You could spend a lifetime in it. Um, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, then he lives in you. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Scripture tells us, Right? that the Spirit of God has taken up residence in you, or the Spirit of the risen Christ, okay? So if you have surrendered your life to Christ, when you look at this passage, it says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, that's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you, okay? So life is found by him living in you. The way that we live in life is to be led by or to pay attention to that thing that lives in us, who's Jesus, right? That's always the case, because before you know Jesus, you still are led by and live according to that thing that lives in you. Before that, it was just your sin nature, and you just did whatever it said to do. But now, when Jesus lives in us and we are set free, we now can live and be empowered to live according to his leading in our life. I love this. Keep going. In verse 10, but if Christ lives in you, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, in other words, we're all going out in a box someday. The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, a boundary, a reason. But it's not to the flesh, which is the old person, but to live according to the Spirit, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. In other words, if we start paying attention to God who's taken up residence in us, we're spending time with Him, right? We're abiding in Him, as we were talking about a minute ago. We're spending time in His Word. Then we can start going, no, I'm not doing that because of this. No, I'm not going there because of this that now lives in me. We can be led. And here's his promise, that as, just as this said, he's going to empower you to do that. I didn't do this in the first service. I just want to throw this out there to you. Catch this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. We're God's kids. And by him we cry, Abba, or Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I told a Friday night service recently what that scripture means is that when you have Jesus living in you, His Spirit is in you, and you go about doing His leading like, you feel like you're supposed to pray for somebody, you pray for them. You make the right choices even though they're hard. His Spirit is in you going, that's my kid. That's right. Go ahead. He's cheering you on. His Spirit is testifying to your spirit. See, I'm in you. We got this. His Spirit testifies to your spirit. Now, if we're God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. In other words, things may be hard, but because we are His children, we can be led by His Spirit, which means we can operate according to His leading boundaries, according to His leading. We are co-heirs with Christ. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. We're God's kids. We get all of the kingdom. We get to share in his glory. That's crazy. That's crazy. Boundaries are worth it. Boundaries are worth it. Another little thought passing on boundaries, that you need them. The boundaries are there so that you can walk and have his life. But when boundaries are violated, there's death. And you know this. If you've had a friend betray you, there was a death in relationship. If you had someone break your trust, there was death in trust. If you've crossed boundaries in your own life and shame has set in on you, you know what that feels like? It's death. You feel like you're dying on the inside. That's what this scripture was telling us. But that when we follow the Spirit's leading, when we live according to the boundaries of God, when we have the godly nose, life rises up in us. Shame breaks off relationships can be whole. God provides out of his goodness, but God also shows his goodness in the boundaries that he sets. Boundaries say, I love you. All right, look at verse 18 of Genesis 2 with me moving on. We could probably do a whole day on that because there's some of you today, that right there, that section was for you. That's it. You don't need anything else today. You got somebody you need to go tell no. You've got something you need to cut out and say, I'm not doing that anymore. And for some of you, that boundary means you're going to have to go ask for help. God will help you do it. Step out and do what he said. Verse 18. Love this one. Blows my mind. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper or one who completes suitable for him. (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? other than the fact that there's a whole weird thing, putting them to sleep, taking a rib out, they're all naked, the whole thing. Um, Adam was not alone. Adam was perfectly and uniquely with God in the garden. He was not alone. As I heard Judah at one point talked about some of this stuff, Pastor Judah, he said he had a lot of pets. Adam did, I love that, Right? He was not alone in the garden. He was perfectly and uniquely with God, but yet God said it wasn't good for him to be alone. God creates its good. God creates its good. God creates its good. God creates man. He says it's very good. And then we encounter the first thing in all of creation that's not good. And God declared it. It's not good for man to be alone. What in the world is that all about? We were designed for community from the very beginning. We were made for relationship with God and relationship with one another because of our relationship with God. Relationship with God, relationship with one another because of our relationship with God. Theologically, God is one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right? I don't understand it either, that's okay. But God is a perfect, unified community within Himself. So if we're made in his image, then it makes complete sense that we need community. We okay? We were created for it. Now, God did not create a woman and put her somewhere else in the garden hoping that someday they would cross paths, sit down in a coffee shop, trade stories, see if they were compatible, and decide to date. He didn't do that. God intentionally intimately, purposely crafted and designed the relationship for Adam. We need intentional relationships that we cultivate in Christ. You've got to have those. Now, I'm not talking about you can't have acquaintances and friendships out here, but if you don't have those people in your life that can hold you accountable, that know the deepest parts of you, that can say those things to you that no one else can say to you, you're set up for some struggle. Well, I have a very private faith. You understand? Me and Jesus, you know, I, I don't need church. I, you know, you, you're going to get your brains beat out. Or you're not going to accomplish much in the kingdom of God. You know why? Because you were created for community. It's an individual salvation, but it's a community faith. It's meant to be walked out together. There are things that you have that we are incomplete if you don't show up. And there are things that the rest of us have that you're incomplete if you don't show up with us. We were designed to do this together. And it's the place where we have right boundaries and learn boundaries with one another. It's the place where we work together. It's the place where we worship and rest, celebrate together. Something happens in the context of community. Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Matthew chapter 18 verse 20 says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Not me, myself, and I. That doesn't make three. But two or three. When the family gets together, there's this relationship and this relationship going on at once. And incredible things transpire. Things that we don't even see or know. And that's where we can learn boundaries. That's where we can find provision when God makes provision through family. Some of you are going to need to address some relationships in your life today. Because they're not these kind of relationships. Well, I'm ministering to them. Well, how are you doing on the inside? Are you influencing or are you being influenced? What's the result when you spend time together? All of this was designed before everything was broken. Rest, God-directed work, a God-led no, and intimate in-Christ relationships, because people do these four things all the time. People take naps. <laughs> and they're good. I like naps. People work job upon job upon job. Because they work they work hard. Miss out on all their kids' stuff, but job upon job job and job and work. And people do all these things and they got all kinds of relationships and whatnot. But these four things were given in the perfect relationship with God in the garden. These things are designed to work in right relationship with God. That's how these four things work. So it starts with what Jesus accomplished for us. If I get Richard to come on, because I know we're running a little long, and I'm going to pray and let you get out of here. Um, You can't get right with God. I know that's been a church phrase for years. You need to get right. I need to get right with God. You can't get right with God. That's why Jesus came. Jesus puts you right with God. Okay? And so when you surrender your life to Jesus and he puts you right with the Father, and the Father begins that work in you so that you're rightly related within yourself, you're at peace because you know you're at peace with God. That enables you to begin to walk in right relationships with people. And this stuff will help you thrive. That's how that works. So I hope um, that's practical for you today. Let's stand up together. I wanted to do something really specific today in closing for us to pray. I want you to ask yourself, How am I doing? You ask you. How am I doing? It's kind of hard to lie to yourself, although we do it all the time, right? I mean, get honest. How am I doing? Then I want you to take a second to ask God. Why don't you ask God how you're doing? Let Him stir some things up in your heart. Are you flat wore out and have no peace? Have you gotten to look at all the chaos and the mess around you and there's absolutely no rest in your heart? You're restless. Are you at a place where Instead of maybe doing the hard work of pushing back and saying, why are we living impoverished all the time and how can we work on that and what in a godly way needs to be addressed? We just went and got another job and another job to try to put more pennies into a bad budget mess. Instead of addressing the thing we need to address in there. And often that means you need to get help. Talk to somebody who can help you do it. That means you step over shame (laughs) to let somebody know. Because with all of the extra work we're doing to provide, we're getting robbed of everything else in terms of relationships and kids and family, right? What do your boundaries look like? Do you have none? Do you have dumb ones? What are your boundaries? Are they spirit-led? And then what are your relationships like? How are you doing as I'm going to pray over you, and as we pray together, as an actor surrendered surrender to the Lord this morning, I want you to do business with the Lord. The answer to rest is worship. Get your eyes on what God has done. Off of what's here, get your eyes up here. Look, look. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where did my help come from? I don't have my eyes down. Your answer to work to Jesus, believe what He says, right? Stay there. Stay with Him. Get the help you need. Your answer to boundaries Maybe somebody helping you out with that. Maybe praying and asking for the filling of the Holy Spirit. We pray in just a second for the Lord to empower you to go say no. And relationships, some of you in here need to get over it and jump in a small group. Not because small groups are the answer for everything in the world, but that small groups are an intentional place where you can plug in with somebody else that will journey with you in faith. That you have somebody that will pray with you. Get a prayer partner. Ask somebody to coffee that loves Jesus. And sit down and talk and pray together. You need those people that journey with you. Okay? Father, I thank you for these folks. I love them more than I know how to tell them. And uh, I know these four things in particular, Bill, sharing on those two things last week, these two things today, have just really resonated with me over the year, the things I even need to work on in this moment myself, too. And uh, you wanted us to thrive, Lord. Jesus said that he came to bring life and life to the full. Well, full life, I know, is found in right relationship with you and doing the things you've asked us to do, like we've talked about today. That life will overflow. So for folks in here today that need healing relationships, I pray you pour that out in this moment, God? For folks that need to step out in faith and in boldness and say, I need help because I got some boundary issues going on. Or folks that just need to say no, you fill them with the Holy Spirit. Because the first response of the Holy Spirit that you see with people often is just that boldness that comes. For our folks in here that need wisdom today with the work of their hands, I know it's not easy. I know when there's not enough money for groceries it's scary because I've been there. But Lord, I know that you have answers in God in your direction with our work that you said you would provide. And we need, just need to be looking to the right places. We need to make our knees known. And Father, that all of us will be consumed by your glory and what you've provided. That our eyes will be focused on you. That rest will give rise to worship hearts. It's not about naps. It's about you, Father. Bless these folks today. Fill them up, Lord. I pray that as they go, that they would hold the people of Hatteras and South in their hearts down to Ocracoke. Be looking for ways to be a part of solution to hold them in their hearts. The folks that are visiting today, as they go, Lord, I pray you send them out in power that they go home to change your. As they thrive in these four things and father there's any among us lord that don't know jesus today that as we close here in just a minute we have folks down front to pray after we close That they can just come and we'll pray because it all works inside of right relationship with you when it starts there so lord bless them fill them up as they go we love you lord we thank you in jesus name. amen uh, we're gonna have before you move we're gonna have elders and uh